Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Brian. Good morning. What's love got to do with it? We're in 1 Corinthians 13. Boasting. Boast. Love does not boast. When I think of boasting, or better yet, bragging, I don't think of Robin Boast. She's a museum curator. And I don't think of June Bragger. She's an English cricket star. And I don't think of Austin Tatius, a Jewish-Australian comedian. Now, when I hear the word brag, I think of Cassius Clay. Now, that, that takes me back, but I was 11, he was 22, and by all accounts, a braggart. He had a razor-sharp tongue and an even sharper set of boxing skills in both hands. On February 25, 1964, Cassius Clay entered the ring against the feared and much-favored champ, Sonny Liston, the bear. Nobody really gave Cassius Clay a chance. Nobody, I think, really wanted to because he was so overconfident. But he left the ring. Cassius Clay entered the ring on that night and left it, Muhammad Ali, and the world champion and an American legend. In 1998, Ring Magazine called Ali the greatest heavyweight of all time. Something Ali himself claimed right from the start. At the time, I realized I was only 11, but I was also getting not only a read off of my own take, but off of my parents, off of society. I mean, nobody had ever seen anybody so ostentatious, so over the top, so self-promoting as Muhammad Ali. You never had to ask him what he thought of himself because like a good boxer, he'd beat you to the punch. I'm young, I'm handsome, I'm fast, I'm pretty, and I can't possibly be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. My favorite uh, champ was Floyd Patterson. I remember I cried when, when he got beat by Johansson, and then he was the first two-time champ. He beat Johansson in a rematch. And in 1965, he got a match with Muhammad Ali. And you can actually Google an interview that was published in Sports Illustrated that was written by Patterson in anticipation of his fight with Muhammad Ali, whom he never called Muhammad Ali, he called him Cassius Clay. And Muhammad Ali came to Patterson's workout camp because he called him the rabbit and a little boy. And the black, the great white black hope. And he brought him carrots. 
and gave him carrots because he called him rabbit. And in the ring, Ollie punished Patterson. Punished him. He could have beat him almost at, at will at any point, but he just pummeled him for 12 rounds, saying, what's my name? What's my name? What's my name? I'll never forget that. But as I said at the time, such bragging was, was really shocking. You had no place to put it. It was so outrageous socially. Today, we call it trash talk or hot dogging. It's pretty common, but it's still bragging. And there too, Ali remains the greatest of all time. Is it okay to brag? What if it's just fact? About that same time, from 67 to 79, there was a television show was a favorite of mine because it starred Walter Brennan, who I enjoyed from The Real McCoys. I know that uh, some of you are not connecting with me here, but... <laughs> Will Sonnet of The Guns of Will Sonnet was the name of the show. And in the very first episode, it became a tag throughout the whole series, but Will Sonnet... He would intimidate people. He was good with a gun. And in that very first episode, he talked about his son. He's, he said, his son is the best. And then his grandson was next to him. He says, but my grandson here, he's even better. And then he said, I'm better than both of them. No brag. Just fact. If it's fact, is it bragging? We used to say it's not bragging if you can back it up. Ali bragged. Sonnet bragged. They backed it up with fists, with bullets. Might makes right. But bragging never makes equals. Bragging never serves the interests of love. What's love got to do with it? Love does not brag. Let's read chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and of all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. You know, you get a picture here of someone who is almost transcendent spiritually, but it matters not without love. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. 
not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, endures, excuse me, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, and then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also have been fully known. But now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. I'm sure, like me, you've pulled to a stop sign behind someone else. Uh, a red light. And the light turns green. And the driver in front, I mean, you can see his or her face in the rearview mirror, and they are in a special place. <laughs> and the light is green, and they are not moving. On such occasions, I tap, I toot my horn. My dad taught me that. Because tooting is courteous, it's kind, it's, it's just a gentle nudge, it's, it's thoughtful about the other person. It realizes that that person is in a special place, and I could be too, I have been. I've done that so many times. I make all kinds of mistakes on the road, and some people do not let me miss the fact. And I remember that. And so I'm thoughtful and I, I just toot. I don't blow my horn. Because blowing my horn is about me and not them. Tooting is not about me. It's about them. I toot. Love toots. <laughs> love does not blow. Because love is about them and not about me. It's about others. It's about building up and encouraging. It's about giving people a chance to grow and to get better and to be stronger and healthier. Blowing is about me. It's about tearing down others and elevating myself. There's a difference between tooting and blowing your horn. Agape love does not brag. Agape love does not blow its own horn. If there's a difference between boast and brag, and I think in, in standard conversation, in, in usual English, we use them interchangeably. 
And if there's a difference, maybe the way we use it, the situation may, may indicate that difference. But here in 1 Corinthians, I think there's a difference. In fact, Paul uses a word right here in verse 4, which I think is rightly translated brag and not boast. It is a word that is only found in the Bible. I mean, not, there's not another form of this word. I mean, it's not like this is the verb and there's a noun somewhere else. It is not used in the Old Testament, Greek translation of course, and not in the New. It's found only here in verse 4. Four. And it's not that common in the, lang- l- the literature outside of the Bible. Now, some of that could have been lost. I mean, it's not like we have everything that was written in that period. But of that which survives, we have some prime examples of this word. And it's very clear that they have in mind someone that blows their own horn. And everybody's aware of it. In fact, the way the writer talks about the person blowing their own horn, there's just an awareness that this person has gone over the top. This is a public braggart. Paul uses another word for boast in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, two letters, 39 times. Now, if I wrote you a letter, or even a couple of letters, and I use that word 39 times, you'd get the idea that we're, we're on topic. Boasting, bragging is an issue. And when Paul uses the word boasting, he boasts in his weaknesses. He boasts in the cross. He boasts in others, but not in himself. And that's striking because boasting and bragging was a problem at Corinth. A big problem. Among others, Ben Witherington in his book Conflict and Community in Corinth points out that at Corinth it was all about the somebody versus the nobodies. To be somebody, you had to be educated, wealthy, and well-bred, and then you promoted it. You pitched it. And it was all about this, you know, social kind of maneuvering to get the most out of your own publicity. You see, the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ, turned that whole thing, that whole system, that whole outlook upside down. And for many, it didn't go over well. Because if you're dealing with a culture and a society, and Corinth was one of the chief centers in the Greco-Roman culture, which is an honor-shame culture, and it was all about elevating, publicizing, promoting yourself. And Paul didn't fit into that very well, nor did the gospel, except amongst the nobodies. And as somebody's 
and nobodies came to Jesus Christ and started congregating as a church, it created tensions and problems. Because listen, the truth is, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, when you enter the church, you bring the world right with you. All of the assumptions, all of your background, all of the false kinds of thinking, a lot of the lies, you don't even know they're lies, you think it's truth. All the values, the outlook, the mentality, you bring it right with you into the church. And when I say you, I mean, I did that too. And as God's revelation, His truth starts to adjust us, we go through change. It's a part of that transformation. Paul said, be renewed by the transformation of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And that's why we listen to the Word, and we think about the Gospel, and we talk about it, and we apply it, hopefully, while we're here, and when we go back out into our own world. When Paul was in that culture, Witherington points out that to the Corinthian culture, the gospel turned that whole system upside down because now the somebodies and the nobodies were equals. A totally different economy. A totally different value system in which no one earns their status. It is conferred, if you will, by grace. Nothing of our own through Jesus Christ. And it is reflected in Paul. He was humble and he assumed a servant's posture. And Witherington says that Paul was disturbing, disgusting, and even provocative in a city where social climbing was a major preoccupation and where public boasting and self-promotion had become an art form. In the honor-shame culture of Corinth, public recognition was, listen to this, more important than facts. And isn't that at the very heart of boasting and bragging? We're magnifying because what's most important is not the facts or not the truth. What's most important is the adulation. What's most important is for the bragger to hear somebody special. Pointed out that uh, the worst thing that could happen was for one's reputation to be publicly tarnished. And a number of uh, writers who specialize in that culture and the history of that time say that there's a lot that's similar between Corinth and our current society and the culture, the prevailing culture of our own times, with its self sufficient. Think about that. Self-sufficient. Self-congratulatory obsession about peer group prestige and success in competition. Thistleton says that the Corinthians 
Look not for truth, but for applause and success. And I thought, Charlie Sheen. (laughs) Winning? That's our culture. That's our society too. No wonder Paul made it a point to talk about love. And all, you know, love, God's love, is central to the gospel, but it's given a special place in his career correspondence. In fact, it is this 13th chapter in which he extols love right in the midst of the spiritual gifts because he wants the Corinthians to realize that these gifts are not about status. They're not about blowing your horn. They're about tooting your horn. They're about helping others, building up others, strengthening others. The very work of love is a work that you have taken to heart because you yourself are a recipient of God's love. And that is a precious and special thing. Love does not brag. But sometimes it's hard to know if we're crossing the line. Well, listen, if you feel like you're crossing the line, and by the way, I was just reminded this week that probably one place that we might cross the line, Facebook. Now, some of you may not be on Facebook, but it's a medium which basically gives you a license to promote yourself. That might be an area where some of these thoughts would help you if you feel like you're crossing the line. For example, here's um, an idea. Uh, This would be a check, so to speak. Am I crossing the line? Well, try bragging to God. Paul boasts in his weaknesses. I think that in Christ, you come to feel so secure in God's love, it affects you in this world. It changes. And I'll talk a little bit more about that, but I find it much easier to talk about my weaknesses than, than I used to. Because I know that sometimes if I talk about that, maybe that will help you, make you feel kind of more normal. You know, well, if, if, uh, if the pastor can go through that kind of stuff, or he has those kinds of things going on, maybe, maybe that means I'm not some special case that needs to be hospitalized. But Paul, as I said, could boast in his weaknesses in the cross in others, By the cross, of course, I mean in God, in Jesus Christ. Jesus warned they loved the approval of men rather than God. That would be a part of that test. In the Old Testament, in wisdom, for example, in Proverbs 27.2, and boy, I I remember as a young believer, I read a lot in Proverbs. I liked the Proverbs. At the time, it just seemed to really connect with me, and so I read it every day. And I'll I'll never forget, let another praise you, not your own mouth. Someone else, not your own lips. Well, that's one thing that you could do to test yourself if you feel like maybe you've crossed the line. Because if you can brag to God, but most of us can't. Another thing you can do is test your motives. 
Listen, feeling satisfaction about some type of an achievement, especially if you're about as surprised as anybody else, that, that feeling is sometimes something that we want to share with others because it's like, I can't believe it. You know, this was just such a wonderful thing that happened in my life. That's not bragging. That's not boasting. Bragging, boasting, is when that feeling of satisfaction we want to feel more and more and more because to feel it we have to find it in the adulation and the praise of others in their admiration and envy. It feels superior and seeks matching adulation. Bragging sends the message, look at me, aren't I wonderful? Some would say that envy, bragging, and conceit, by the way, you notice it's sandwiched right between envy, in verse 4, and arrogance or conceit. Those who study human behavior and psychology would say that people who have this kind of overweening need and find these qualities prominent in their lives are acting out of insecurity. Insecurity. But love can heal those very areas. And love, if we focus on love and not on envy or not on conceit or not on bragging, not on ourselves in other words, but on God's love and showing it to others, it tends to balance things out in our lives. And we're not too much on the inferior, beat yourself up, envy others end, or on the bragging, aren't I the greatest, look at me end of the spectrum. And that brings me to the third thing we can do if we wonder whether we're taking liberties or crossing the line. We can take the high road. We can toot and build others up. Daniel Goleman, in his book, which I'm reading right now, Social Intelligence, this just really jumped out at me, because it puts into word things that I've heard others say and I've found true in my own life. Self-absorption in all its forms kills empathy, let alone compassion. And again and again in his book, he says, what kills empathy kills kindness, with it, which is empathy in action. Empathy is when I sympathize. I kind of get inside what you're going through. And I feel what you feel. That energizes kindness. And what is at the heart of God's love? Kindness. Love exercises patience, shows kindness, does not envy, does not brag. He goes on to say, when we focus on others, our world expands. I once heard someone say, when you're, when you're self-absorbed, when you're focused on yourself, it's like a downward spiral that ends in a dead end. But if you reverse that, it's unlimited. I'll tell you, there'll be a lot of joy in your life if you open your heart to others and don't worry so much about ourselves. 
One other thing that I'd like to mention under this is, because, uh, you know, if you got up here and spoke and, and do what I do, then you spend a whole week thinking of bragging, love and bragging. And so, if you're going to try to be real about it, you have to evaluate yourself. And I've been thinking about this all week. Look what I have to do with, deal with all the time. But I, I, I don't think I so much brag. I, I discovered that I do what I would call reverse bragging, which is whining. <laughs> oh, woe is me. I have so much to do. You have no idea how busy I am. Life is so hard on me. Everybody's against me. Oh, I haven't. It's not that way now. It was that way years ago. But that is, that, I'll never forget a, a guy once, it was hard. He just said, stop whining. And it, it shocked me. I'm like you. I want to be liked. I want to be accepted. I want to have friends. I want to, you know, lead a productive... Boy, that really got a hold of me. Reverse bragging. Love puts it in perspective. And it puts others in perspective too. C.S. Lewis once quipped that everyone thinks forgiveness is a wonderful idea until they have someone to forgive. Let's apply that to love. Let's say that you go to the gym for your workout, and you have a favorite stair-step machine or a favorite treadmill. And on that treadmill, you see a grossly obese person. And since it's your favorite, it's kind of like coming to church and somebody's in your seat. You think... And, and you have a dark thought just passes over your mind because we're human. What are they doing on my treadmill? What good is it going to do them? They don't even, you know, they shouldn't even be in here. Look at me, toned, fit. I can really get something out of this treadmill. Well, what does love do? It's really quite simple. Love challenges that thought and corrects it. And then love says, good for them. They're in here trying when so many wouldn't. And you'd want to cheer them on. Because you realize that, you know, at one time maybe you weren't so thin, thin and trim. Or fim, which is both squished together. <laughs> you know, if I were to write 1 Corinthians 13, I would add... I was thinking about this this week. Something I would say, love laughs at itself. If you can't laugh at yourself, then focus on love. God's love will balance that out and get you to a place where you can really begin to laugh at yourself. What about the politician? How many politicians are caught up in these sex scandals? Democrat and Republican. Independent too. And boy, when it first hits, you know, they're going to lose their job and you just kind of sit back and you say, they're all the same. It's a huge sweeping generalization and it's like, hypocrite, you're getting what you deserve. But then love changes that thought. Love converts it. It corrects it. 
And we would think, if all my private sins were suddenly made made known, would I be forced to resign too? The point is, is that Jesus Christ preached the gospel. You know, God in His grand work, creation, fall, gospel. And if we're in the gospel, we shouldn't be elite and superior in our attitude toward others. Jesus wasn't. He lived out the gospel. He lived this grace, this love. Others saw a serial adulterer at the well. Jesus saw an evangelist to her city. Others saw a scheming, greedy tax collector. Jesus saw someone who could write a corrupt system. Others saw a murderous, hate-filled bigot. Jesus saw a Jewish apostle to the Gentiles, the author of much of the New Testament. Others saw me Jesus saw someone that should be his child. He saw potential in me that I didn't even see in myself. How does Jesus see you? How does Jesus see you? It's very important. I uh, bought a book this last week, and uh, it was called Bragging. I got it used. (laughs) How to Toot Your Own Horn Without Blowing It was the title. And so, actually, a good book. And it, it trains you uh, how to make it in this world, in the business world, and in the dog-eat-dog world of competition, uh, how to tell your story in a way that doesn't come off bragging, and how you need to be able to... And I, I had to admit, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot of good stuff in that book. But then it hit me, I, I thought... There's no room for God in this. I mean, maybe my life is not just in my hands and in my own self-sufficiency. Maybe I need to be attuned to what God can do when I put Him first. Maybe I need to make sure, yeah, the facts are the facts, but maybe I need to be mindful of those facts and trust God to do in my life, what He wants to see done is I depend on Him, trust Him, and have that freedom to put others first and not always be caught up with, I mean, every conversation looking for a way to tell your story and promote yourself. Juan Ortiz took the opportunity I don't remember the occasion if his family was with him. He was at the circus. There was a trapeze artist and he got a, struck up a conversation with the trapeze artist about the net that was underneath him. When he performed, he says, how important is that net to you? He said, well, it's, 
vital, you know. <laughs> I mean, it just provides this incredible sense of, of safety and security. But he says, I'll tell you what it really does for me. He says, it allows me to perform optimally. It allows me to take risks, to attempt twists and turns I would never attempt without it. That's what God's love does for us. That's why I say you have to take it personally. If you haven't taken to heart God's love, it won't be a net for you. It'll be some kind of cerebral fact or piece of theology. But if in your daily life, God's love is your undergirding net, then in the everyday little details of life, you will take a twist and a turn and a risk for someone else. It won't all be about self-preservation and protection. It will be about caring for others. It won't all be about blowing one horn. It'll be about tooting someone else. It begins at home, on the job, at school, when you're driving. Will you stand with me? You know, I know the Lord tugs at in various ways that are tailored and and tuned for going through. I'd like to pray about that with me or one of our pastors. Wives this morning, I invite you to come. We're going to sing a closing song. You can make a life-changing decision right where you stand. By taking to heart the love of Jesus Christ. It changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way you see others. And you don't need to brag. You don't really need to put yourself down. Star in the Lord. And you begin to realize, God loves me and He wants to use me. God's touched your heart in some way this morning and you'd like to pray... Maybe I'd like to know that is going in and out. It's not our problem. It's the FCC. It's the government. I'm behind it all. <laughs> However, the Lord is speaking to you. I just you know we're here and sharing what God's doing in your life. What you want to see. Together, and as the Lord speaks to you, we invite you to come if you'd like to come for prayer. This has been a production of Grace Community Church of Visalia. For more information, go to our website at www.gccvisalia.org or for more sermons, go to gccvisalia.org slash podcast.